Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. People don't always realize that physical symptoms like headaches, teeth grinding, and even digestive issues can be indicators of stress. And let's not forget about doom scrolling, sleeping too little, sleeping too much, undereating, and overeating. Okay, so the copy here says to talk about my experience with stress. Oh boy, <laughs> do you have an hour? Uh, where do I begin? <laughs> Work, bills, life, family. I could go podcast. on for a very, yeah, <laughs> podcast, a very long time. And I actually do though, in therapy, which is so helpful for me so I can manage, deal, and get through it. Stress shows up in all kinds of ways and in a world that's telling you to do more, sleep less, and grind all the time. Here's your reminder to take care of yourself, do less, and maybe try some therapy. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's more affordable than in-person therapy. Give it a try and see if online therapy can help lower your stress. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color. Listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com fruit. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash fruit. All right, guys, it's it's time for me to come clean. It's okay. it's time for me to tell the truth. Right. It's time for me to spill the beans. Okay. It's time to fess up. <laughs> it's time to keep it a buck. Keep it 100. Are you going to get to it? Oh, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so sometimes after dark, I sneak away and play Best Fiends. Others may wonder about my mysterious disappearances. They say, who does she think she is? David Blaine? David Copperfield? I say none of the above. In fact, I'm having so much fun playing Best Fiends. Ever heard? of it? Why, yes, I have. <laughs> I love Best Fiends. I love collecting the little monsters when you play so I can level up my fiends. Also, I love going in for the super long matches to free up the board and beat levels. Ooh. I am happy to report that I am on level 440. That's amazing. <laughs> okay, friend, I see you flexing over there. <laughs> now, Best Fiends is a free-to-download mobile puzzle game with thousands of exciting new levels for new adventures and challenges every time you play. I am on level 304. Beth, tell them about the offline play. Yes, of course. <laughs> there <laughs> is offline play, so you don't even need Wi-Fi or the internet. Oh, good. So download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised.
welcome to Fruit Loops episode 121. Thank y'all so much for listening. Yeah. Fruit Loops is a podcast. It is, that's right, about <laughs> true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are straight cis white dudes. Yes, it's true. And there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because the news is racist. Allegedly. And we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602-935-6294. And we may feature it on a future episode. Also, our website is fruitloopspod.com and we use Fruit Loops Pod for all our social media. The footnotes for each episode can be found on our website. Plus, check it out for the different ways that you can support our show. Now, who are we talking about today, Beth? Today, we're talking about Howard Milton Belcher, an Atlanta gay man who went on a murder spree in October of 2002, just a short time after being released from prison. Uh Oh, well, uh, before we get into it, how you doing? I'm good. We're uh, releasing some exciting news this week. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yes, I'm excited for the news. (laughs) (laughs) We are going to CrimeCon. And I almost can't believe it because we have no business being around <laughs> real people talking about real crime stuff. We are literally just two gals interested in true crime. What will we do with ourselves? I don't know. I don't know, but we're doing it. We're and doing it's exciting. it. Exciting. We're very it's exciting. Excited. Yeah. yeah. So, so be on the lookout for for Ebony and Ivory, Beth and Wendy. <laughs> Beth and Wendy have a podcast. That's right. <laughs> so I am excited plane tickets all purchased we are we, we are ready to go yep um and yeah just we'll be able to interact with the fans and like i don't know it's i've never been to a, any of these cons i know beth you have been to like comic con yeah. right and stuff yeah. like that i've never been to any uh, anything like this so you're gonna have to show me the ropes lady okay it's gonna be exciting <laughs> yeah yeah mm. so um, well, looking forward to it. And what do you say we get into some listener letters, shall we? Okay, let's do it. All right. Oh, angels. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> they were on the spot today. They were ready. See what happens when we prepare. <laughs> So uh, Havoc304 sent us a really interesting email. So I'm going to read that for y'all. Okay. Uh, Havoc said they worked for a forensic psych unit where uh, Eddie Mosley was a resident until his death in May 2020 after contracting COVID-19. And if you recall, we we covered Eddie Mosley in uh, one of our episodes. Mm -hmm. So Havoc304 said, quote, I worked with Eddie for six years. I believe he fooled a lot of intelligent people in the field of psychology, psychiatry, and the judicial system. When I first met Mosley, I knew very little about him. He seemed like someone's grandpa. Mm. He was soft-spoken. He was kind to residents of lower functioning. I was floored when I found out who he really was. It has often been reported that Eddie was illiterate. 
He was able to keep up his charade of, quote, a simple black man who can't read or write, unquote. This was a favorite line Eddie used. However, as his health declined, he seemed to forget that he was illiterate. (laughs) Whoopsies! Uh (laughs) Uh-oh! The first two years I worked there, Eddie would come out of his room and ask staff to read him the menu for the day. Suddenly, in year three of my employment, Eddie came out one morning and read the menu to another resident. The facility offered no learning programs or even programs for coping strategies. So he just magically learned how to read, maybe. Yeah, it was osmosis, I suppose. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> he was one of our highest functioning residents. He was never a behavioral problem in the time I worked at the facility. His room was spotless. Everything had a place. If anything was moved, Eddie was aware. Mm. He would place pieces of paper in the the edge of his door when he left his room so he would know if anyone entered his room. Ooh, <laughs> a little boy. paranoia there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yikes. I have worked in direct care in many settings over a period of 37 years. I have experienced working with people with low IQ, low functioning, and various mental disorders. Eddie was not typical. He was diabolical. <laughs> mm, yes, indeed he was. Yeah. And I believe he died, right? Of he died of COVID nineteen, and we reported yeah. that in the in the in one of our news updates. Um, yeah, but and wow, extra, to have so, worked yeah. with him so closely, yeah. Hello, Havoc three hundred four, doing the Lord's Lord's work over there. Yeah, thanks, to Havoc three hundred four. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and thank you for that letter. Oh my yeah. gosh, that sounds like one of the most fascinating jobs. It and really does, yeah. He was in that facility the whole time and nobody knew he was a serial killer. <laughs> wow. Uh, I guess the notoriety doesn't follow uh, everybody. Not always, yeah. No, no. Uh, if it had been Ted Bundy, though, mm-hmm. well, because the news is racist, you know what I'm saying? So uh, I do know what you're saying. Anyway, <laughs> wow, that is fascinating. Well, thank you so much, Havoc 304. We see you, boo, and we appreciate you. Um, we got some, we got to give some love to our supporters. Yeah. Uh, we got um, Mike B on Podbean, Podbean and Jacqueline C via the Cash Up. And we'd like to thank you for your handsome donations. Yeah, uh, as thank such, you. Please accept these tunes and interpretive dances, which you cannot see, <laughs> but just close your eyes and imagine. Here we go. Five, six, seven, eight. <clears throat> I'm living my life like it's Jacqueline. 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 Jacqueline. And that's for you, Jacqueline. Thank you so much. <laughs> uh, Hip Hop Air Horns. And yeah. uh, this next tune is uh, for Mike B. <clears throat> Take me on a trip. I'd like to go someday. Take me to Nebraska, San Francisco Bay. I really want to come kick it with you. Would you be my American Mike? American Mike. Can we get away this weekend? Take me to Broadway. Let's go shopping. Maybe then we'll murder a valet. Can we get on the subway? Take me to your hood. I've never seen a crime scene and I'd like to know what's good. Dressed in all your fancy clothes. Speakers looking fresh to death. I'm loving those so toes. Walk in that walk. 
talk, that slick talk. I'm liking this American mic, American mic. Um, so those are your tunes, everybody. Thank yeah. you for supporting our show. Thank you. Woo. Hello, this is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. And uh, that's that. Remind us, Beth, who is our subject today? Today we're talking about Howard Milton Belcher, a gay man who targeted other gay men. He murdered three to four men in Paulding and DeKalb counties, Midtown Atlanta and McKinney, Georgia. He was seen with the victims at various times at a gay bar in Midtown in October of 2002. All right. Well, now we're going to get into some stats. Here we go. Howard Milton Belter was born in 1978. He was a black American male. His victims were adult males assigned at birth. Um, and uh, his crimes took place in Georgia, Georgia, Georgia. <laughs> it's always on my mind. In October of 2002, he was 26 when he was arrested for his crimes. Uh, and his victims rest in paradise. Kings are Mark Schaller, age 40. Matthew Abney, 45, Leroy Tyler, 27, and Artelis McKinney, who was 35. So now we're going to get into the setting. Take us there, Beth. Well, hey, y'all. We're back in Atlanta again. <laughs> hey, girl. <laughs> uh, peace up, A-Town Down. <laughs> We've gone to Atlanta several times, so we've already covered a lot of Atlanta history and even LGBTQ history. Let me ask you something, Wendy. Ask away. Okay, so I've been putting LGBTQ in this, mm -hmm. and then I noticed, I've been noticing, like, a lot of people are leaving off the Q now. Yeah, I noticed that as well. I am comfortable with that. I don't... Um know what the politics around it are, but I, I like LGBT or LGBTQ. I think you can okay. use them interchangeably. But I've been seeing that just as much as you have. Yeah, that's weird. I'm like, what what's happening? Because oh. they fought they wanted the Q. <laughs> they, we, we, yeah, they wanted all the letters. And I yeah. think they're all um, great when they there's room for him. And, and I think uh, LGBT is also appropriate. Hey, speaking of language evolving, um, you know, BIPOC is uh, some people are trying to phase that out. What? And use, yes, use B, I think the, it's BBMC, Black, Brown, 
indigenous and melanated peoples. Um, because, and you may want to leave this in, this is a culture corner here about how language evolves and how we just get better at, um, being kind to people when we use words. Uh, and so, as I said, BIPOC is being phased out. The reason why people are moving towards the, I can't even say BBIMC, Black, Brown, Indigenous, and Melanated People, uh, acronym is because, BIPOC centers whiteness. By specifying people of color, you're uh, including whiteness in there in in that um, somehow um, lessening the value of people by indicating that they're of color and essentially um, centering white, making whiteness part of the equation, even though you're not using the word um, in in the acronym. And uh, black, brown, indigenous, melanated peoples just cuts out all, all ass, all, all whiteness just is an indication of um, people of color without centering whiteness on it. And I feel like there's a million better ways to explain it, but that's my understanding <laughs> of it. interpretation. Yeah. It's just cutting out, it's cutting out centering whiteness. And okay. I think either one is fine. Uh, okay. so, I think sorry. BIPOC is easier to say. I think it is too. Uh, and uh, I, I, I like it. I like BIPOC. Yeah, but, me too. You know, some people, some people don't and that's okay. So we're not the the language police. Yeah, 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 we're not. We're just doing our best. (laughs) What? What's next? (laughs) I also like LGBTQ because I like the inclusion of uh, queer, but, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Uh, Yeah, yeah. So I have LGBTQ throughout the uh, script. You can use whatever you want. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. So we're going to do something a little different today and focus on one event that happened in Atlanta. Ooh, was it a dark and stormy night? No, Uh, (laughs) no. Uh, we'll get there. In the 2000s, LGBTQ rights were a pretty hot topic as it is to this day. The Netherlands was the first country to allow same-sex marriage in 2001. Belgium followed in 2003 and Spain and Canada in 2005. But during the same time period, some municipalities were enacted laws against homosexuality. For example, in Ree County, Tennessee, unsuccessfully, they tried to ban homosexuals in 2006. Good luck. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, okay. Fuck off. Yeah. I don't, I don't understand. Like, sh- show me. It's not like the vaccine, right? Like, show me your homosexual card. Like, I don't even understand how you would... Uh, no. just just serve no, me my just coffee. Re- yeah. That's, that's, like, that's just dumb. It is. It doesn't make any... Uh, anyway. They tried it, I guess. (laughs) Idiots. (laughs) In 2003, in the case Lawrence versus Texas, the Supreme Court of the United States struck down sodomy laws in 14 states, making consensual homosexual sex legal in all 50 states. In 2010, the Don't Ask, Don't Tell law forbidding gay people from serving openly in the United States military was repealed. So it sounds like progress is picking up steam. Now, a little history on the don't ask, don't tell law in <laughs> that we have in the American um, Armed Forces was that in 1981, the Department of Defense formulated a new policy which stated unequivocally that homosexuality is incompatible with military service. Now, prior to this, the U.S. military did not officially exclude LGBTQ service members from its ranks. However, homosexual acts were grounds for 
for discharge. After the ban, nearly 17,000 men and women were discharged under the category of homosexuality in the 1980s. By the end of the 1980s, reversing the military's policy emerged as a priority for advocates of LGBTQ civil rights. Absolutely. That, so that's good. Um, by, yeah. by the beginning of 1993, it appeared that the military's ban on gay personnel would soon be overturned. Shortly after his inauguration, President Clinton asked the Secretary of Defense to, de- to prepare a draft policy to end discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. Clinton's proposal, however, was greeted with intense opposition from the Joint Chiefs of Staff, members of Congress, the political opposition, and a considerable segment of the U.S. public. Mm. After a lengthy public debate and congressional hearings, the president and Senator Sam Nunn of Georgia, who opposed the repeal, reached a compromise, which they labeled don't ask, don't tell, don't pursue. Uh, you could tell that uh, in my mind, this is just a aren't the Joint Chiefs of Staffs all old white men? <laughs> like, yes. The, uh, the, all of these people are all old of these white people dudes. are yes. all straight cis <laughs> old white ass crusty dusty dudes who i just wouldn't know progress if it bit them in the taint uh (laughs) it's just it's so maddening that these are the people making decisions for everybody now under its terms military personnel could not be asked about their sexual orientation and could not be discharged simply for being gay. However, engaging in sexual conduct with a member of the same sex would still constitute grounds for discharge. After its implementation, the Service Members Legal Defense Network and other organizations monitoring it repeatedly pointed out its failures. Discharges actually increased under the policy and harassment of gay and lesbian personnel appeared to intensify. In 1999, Private Calvin Glover beat Private First Class Barry Winchell to death with a baseball bat while he slept. Prosecutors argued that Glover murdered Winchell because he was gay. Glover was sentenced to life in prison. Subsequent inquiries by civilian groups revealed an ongoing pattern of policy violations and anti-gay harassment that had been ignored by higher level officers. And I gotta say, this is not the first instance of fuckery on behalf of the United States military. No, Uh, it's uh, definitely not. No. uh, (laughs) You name a group and boy, oh boy, have they... There's fuckery. There is fuckery. (laughs) Okay. In the wake of the Winchell murder, Hillary Clinton, then Vice President Al Gore, and even President Clinton called the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy a failure. Campaigning for the Democratic Party's 2000 presidential nomination, candidates Gore and Bill Bradley each promised to work to reverse the policy if he were elected. Meanwhile, candidates for the Republican nomination reaffirmed their support for the curb policy or declared that they would seek to completely prohibit military service by LGBTQ people. Okay, so they're blowing up this military uh, budget and they're like, but only straight people can can yeah. join like yeah. okay anyway it took 11 more years for the policy to be repealed on September 20th 2011 wow Back to Atlanta. Here we go. The story is going <laughs> to... Yeah. <laughs> On my little airplane. Open up. <laughs> Who's a good little podcaster? Open up. Here we go, Atlanta. <laughs> 
Atlanta today is the epicenter of LGBTQ life in the South and has a pretty vibrant LGBTQ community. Atlanta holds one of the biggest pride parades in the Southeast. The state's hate crime law, effective June 26, 2020, explicitly includes sexual orientation. And to some, Atlanta is considered a black gay mecca. Mm. But back on September 10th, 2009, an incident happened that seemed like it was straight out of the 60s when police raided a gay bar in Atlanta, mid-century style. A paramilitary SWAT type force of Atlanta police officers stormed into a bar called the Atlanta Eagle without a warrant. Police allegedly raided the bar to investigate reports of lewd conduct and unlicensed adult entertainment. Now, (laughs) sounds worthy of a SWAT force. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, They were just enjoying themselves dancing listening to good music and i just and here comes and the... here comes the swat <laughs> for what <laughs> being fabulous like what is what is wrong with these people um don't get me started on police and how oh i just this is don't so unnecessary started, don't you guys get don't get her started, started on police <laughs> abolish the police that's what i say uh <laughs> and i'll just leave it at that what's next okay Woo. The police immediately forced dozens of innocent customers who were fully dressed and not suspected of any criminal activity whatsoever to lie face down on the floor, which was covered with spilled beer, dirt and broken glass simply because they were patrons of the bar. Okay, so they they came in unnecessarily. They used excessive force for no fucking reason um, and dehumanized the people there. Mm -hmm. So uh, patrons were illegally searched. Police officers emptied their pockets, confiscated their IDs and entered every patron's name into a police computer. All of the patrons were forced to remain face down on the floor long after they had been searched and found to be unarmed. And they were detained between 30 and 90 minutes, some in handcuffs. The police never explained why they were there. And when patrons asked questions, they were told to shut the fuck up. Mm. Some patrons were told they would be hit in the head with a bar stool if they asked any questions. And some were shoved to the ground and kicked by the officers. Several patrons reported that some officers made racist and anti-gay slurs. Um, I'm not surprised. Um, And I just think it is disgusting. Defund the police. Refund our uh, communities. The police were laughing and joking while they were lying there. And at different times, I heard them say, quote, you people make me sick. And uh, another quote, I hate fags. Um, Well, we fucking hate you. One of them (laughs) said, quote, this is fun. We should do this every week. I mean, us. In what in what uh, tell me please tell me what type of job you can go and say horrible things about people do horrible things to people have like uh zero success like not like not do your job the way you are supposed to and uh your department no gets, consequences no consequences yeah. <laughs> your department gets all the money keep giving us money we'll just try harder uh and it doesn't work Anyway, (laughs) at the end of the raid, not a single patron was charged with any crime. The police said they entered the bar to investigate reports of lewd conduct and to make arrests for unlicensed adult entertainment because the bar had four dancers in boxer brief style costumes. Nope. (laughs) 
Nope, that ain't it, guys. Uh, The only charges filed by police were against the four dancers and the four bar employees and related to the, quote, unlicensed entertainment, end quote, that the officers originally raided the bar to investigate. The bar's four dancers were charged with, quote, dancing in underwear without a permit. Did you you know that was required? (laughs) Hey, Larry, did you know we need permits to dance in our underwear? No, I didn't know that. Anyway, and four employees were charged with operating an adult entertainment establishment without a license. After the raid, Atlanta Eagle Bar patrons sued the city in federal court and claimed their constitutional rights were violated. In December 2010, the city agreed to settle with the plaintiffs for approximately $1.2 million. Mm, Okay. (laughs) Mayor Kasim Reed also apologized to the plaintiffs. The court ruled the raid was unconstitutional and the patrons said they wanted the city to promise to train officers properly on such actions as search and seizure so as to avoid similar raids in the future. Well, since policing policing in America comes from uh, slave catching and protecting the property of white people, um, straight Christian cisgender white people. Uh, And uh, you cannot just keep training officers because it's not working. You can't just keep giving these departments more money because it's not working and qualified immunity already because the money, this $1.2 million settlement that these people had to split. Uh, let's see. The owner of the Atlanta Eagle, Richard Ram- Ramy of the bar, uh, he was awarded $80,000 as part of the $1.2 million settlement. Had the plaintiffs decided to go to court rather than settle, Ramy said he and the others were told they could have had a payout of many millions of dollars. Quote, we said from the beginning that we w- what we wanted was not about money, said Ramy, the, the bar owner. We wanted to help the city of Atlanta and not just the gay community. But police dragged their feet. The reforms did not take place, even though the city was ordered to enact them by a federal judge in the original order in 2011 and then again in 2013. And on May 5th, 2015, six years after the raid, in a hearing on a motion for contempt filed by Atlanta Eagle attorneys, city attorney Robert Godfrey acknowledged the city had failed to properly train police as was mandated as part of the city's settlement with the plaintiffs. Quote, I'm admitting portions of what we were supposed to do. We did not do. Unquote. Godfrey told Judge Batten. Well, Judge Batten ordered the city to train its 2000 officers within 90 days. Atlanta Eagle attorney Dan Grossman, who argued the motion for contempt before Judge Baton, said after the hearing that he could not understand why the city wasted taxpayer money to try to defend themselves and then in a court hearing, finally admit they were wrong. Hmm. He's not wrong. <laughs> no, that that is like, true what, the what they did. And it is true that they were wrong. But yeah, um, what's interesting about these payouts is um, this is why there's the argument for qualified immunity. The city, the city pays these settlements. The city is self-insured. Yeah. Usually the city has money to pay these kinds of damages out. But right. the money comes from taxpayers, y'all. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it, this costs you money. This costs this kind all of, of us money. Bullshit. Right. Yeah. And it, the idea of qualified immunity means that officers 
could be personally held liable for the mistakes that they make. Similar to a doctor or a lawyer who has professional liability insurance for when they fuck shit up. Um, Just a police officer having that. I know police hate this idea. Guess what? I don't care Uh, if they had qualified if qualified immunity was ended and police officers had to purchase liability insurance, professional liability insurance, either through their employer or on their own. They might think twice about mistreating the public they are meant to serve because they could lose Hmm. everything. Right. Huh. What do you know? That's (laughs) see, that's my thought. Um, Am I making sense? And can I get an amen? I'm going to give myself a hip hop. (laughs) Now, where was I? Uh, It was it was me. Okay, I'm sorry I cut you off. Dan Grossman, the attorney for Atlanta Eagle, continued saying, why was the city fighting against complying with an order if it was eventually going to stop fighting and say, well, we're sorry. Mm -hmm. Why not do this in December when we brought it up instead of waiting five months? Mm -hmm. Why is the city violating orders and instead spending tens of thousands of taxpayer dollars, he said. Good question. Very good question. How many times can the police force in America say, oops, my bad. (laughs) Whoops, this year we killed another 1,100 people. Whoopsies. Uh, Before, you know, maybe we do something different. Anyway, all of this happened between 2009 and 2015, years after Howard Milton Belcher was an active serial killer. So you can imagine attitudes back in 2002 when he started his spree. I want to take a moment to tell you about my podcast, Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage. In 1984, a woman named Phyllis Cottle was abducted in broad daylight, tortured, and left to die in a burning car in Akron, Ohio. At the time, I was a rookie reporter covering this horrific story. Since then, I've reported every kind of crime imaginable. I've been able to leave most of them at work, but not this one. The one that buried itself under my skin and stayed put. Phyllis Cottle was a badass woman, and I want to tell you her story. A production of Evergreen Podcasts and signature title of the Killer Podcast Network, you can find Carol Costello Presents Blind Rage wherever you get your podcasts. Discover more great true crime and paranormal programming at KillerPodcast.com. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey, and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Get ready for your starring role in a thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes, danger, and romance. 
That's right. It's June's Journey, and you play June Parker, an amateur detective investigating a series of mysteries. Ooh, you'll put your powers of observation to the test. Sharpen your sleuthing skills, find objects, and claim rewards. The visuals are fire. It's like a party for your eyeballs. <laughs> As you play this thrilling adventure full of hidden clues, immersive scenes with danger and romance in full force. Whether you're craving a good mystery or just need to get away for a while, June's Journey is the perfect game for you. It really is a sweet escape. I like to play when I need a mental pick-me-up. There is a detective in all of us. Find your inner detective. Download June's Journey free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. So now we're going to get into Howard Milton Belcher's early life. What do you got, Beth? Well, Howard Milton Belcher was born in 1978, but outside of that, we don't know anything about his early life. We tried, but <laughs> yes. we couldn't find anything. Uh -huh. As an adult, Belcher had no permanent residence and no close ties with family. My impression is that he burned his ties to his family, but... We don't know the particulars about that. No. And we also do not know that, or I'm sorry, we do know that he had a history of petty theft and shoplifting. Usually those are crimes of survival, not an indication necessarily that he was an evil person. We'll find out more later. And he was a suspect in a robbery slash kidnapping in which the victims were tied up with neckties. Uh, Belcher spent some time in prison and he was released shortly before his activities of killing spree began. So now we're going to get into the timeline. Hit it, Beth. In February of 2002, some people were robbed at their homes on DeFore Village Court in Atlanta. One person was locked in a closet while another person was forced to withdraw money from an ATM. Belcher was later named as a suspect. In October 2002, Belcher was frequenting a gay bar on Peachtree Street in Atlanta, popular with Black folks. And the bar is called Bulldogs and has been located in the heart of Midtown for 42 years. That's awesome. Yeah. Midtown is a commercial district with lots of stores, bars and hotels, museums and other attractions. It also boasts the city's largest concentration of parks and green space. Piedmont Park, which is Atlanta's kind of central park, adjoins Midtown. Oh, I can just see it now. Uh, to 27-year-old Leroy Taylor, a gay man and a recent graduate from Mortuary School, was living in Clarkston, Georgia in October of 2002. Clarkston is located just northeast of Atlanta. He has been described by friends and family as a sweetheart, a good guy with a great spirit. He was very bubbly and sociable. He was the life of the party and people loved him because he was so easy to make a connection with. And uh, here I want to make a note on dates. Different sources gave different dates for the murder of Leroy Taylor. We're going with what was reported most widely. So if you see a different date somewhere else, that's why. Okay. Anyway, on October 5th, 2002, Leroy's mom called police to check on him because she was worried that she hadn't heard from him in a while. When police went to his home, they found him dead in the bedroom under a comforter. He had been left with a belt around his neck and his hands tied behind his back with a necktie. 
At first, police thought maybe it was an autoerotic asphyxiation, but uh, it didn't take long for them to realize that Leroy had been murdered. The gas oven had been left with the door open, gas on, and the stove burners had been lit. It was apparent that the murderer had wanted the apartment to blow up and burn down, eliminating all evidence. Leroy's cause of death was determined to be ligature strangulation. Fingerprints and shoe prints were found in the home and there were signs of ransacking. Leroy's wallet was gone and his car had been taken. The fingerprints were run through APHIS, but unfortunately, there was no match. Oh, speaking of fingerprints, totally unrelated to the story. Me and my uh-huh. kids uh, were working on a DIY fingerprint kit oh, uh, that we that found fun. to make on the internet uh, cool. for all you couch crime fighters out there. <laughs> Uh, Anyway, so 40-year-old Mark Schaller, a white man and a project manager for a computer software firm, had recently moved to Atlanta from Florida. He has been described by friends as hardworking, upbeat, nice, and a joyful person who loved music and traveling. He was well-liked and had a loving family. He had a condo in an upscale area of Atlanta. While out one night in early October 2002, Mark began chatting with another man at Bulldogs, and he must have invited the man home. He was not seen alive again. When one friend called him on October 8th, a man who was not Mark answered the phone. The man told the friend, Mark's not here, and hung up. Friends had been calling Mark for days, but could not get a hold of him. When he did not show up for work, which was very unlike him, co-workers finally became worried enough to call the police on October 10th. Police then went to his upscale condo on Dutch Valley Road in Midtown and found his body. Mark had been left partially nude on his bed with his hands tied behind his back with neckties. And he had also been gagged with a necktie. Mm. He died of blunt force trauma to the neck, but there were no ligature marks. So it's been surmised that the killer had put him in a headlock and then squeezed until Mark stopped breathing. Mm. The killer had again left the stove on with the burners burning and the condo smelled strongly of gas. However, this time it did not look like a robbery as the condo had not been ransacked. Mark's condo building had CCTV, but the building was so new it was not working yet rats uh there was a key card found in the condo but the key card system had not been set up yet either no so police were not able to track when mark had last entered his condo Mm. Mm-hmm. However, the garage system was working and police were able to track when someone had lost gone into the garage using Mark's electronic garage door opener. Saturday, October 5th was the last time anyone had entered. Police surmised that Mark had been killed either late on October 5th or early October 6th. Investigators checked the garage and Mark's blue BMW was not there. On October 11th, 2002, 45-year-old Matthew Abney, an assistant manager for Walmart, was found dead in his home in Dallas, not Texas, is just northwest of Atlanta (laughs) in Paulding County. Matthew has been described as a good person and a hard worker. He was close to his family and loved to travel. That morning, his sister tried to call him but couldn't get a hold of him, so she went over to his house to check on him and found his body. Matthew was found partially dressed, covered with a comforter, and he had bruising on his neck, which indicated that he'd been strangled. His hands were bound with a necktie and phone cords. His gas oven had been left on with the burners going. 
Belcher and Abney had had sex before Belcher strangled him and then took some jewelry and his car. Matthew had been having his basement remodeled, so at first, the Paulding County Sheriff's Department, who were working the case, zeroed in on the workers who had been in and out of his home while the construction was being done. But they were all eventually ruled out. A co-worker mentioned that Matthew liked to go to the Bulldogs Bar in Atlanta. So police questioned employees at Bulldogs, but they weren't talking. Mm. Why? Well, the gay community doesn't always trust the police. Of course. And understandably so. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Matthew's car was later found abandoned. Detectives recovered some shoes and a shirt discarded by the car. Hairs were found on the clothing and submitted to the crime lab. They later came back as a match for both Matthew Abney and Belcher. On October 29, 2002, 35-year-old Artiles, uh, also known as Art McKinney, was found dead in the bedroom of his Mulberry Way home in Duluth, which is northeast of Atlanta. Art's roommate found his body, and he had been left naked and face down on the bed. Police saw no obvious trauma, but his wallet, car, and phone were missing. Fingerprints were recovered, and you guessed it, the oven had been left on with the burners burning. Mm-mm-mm. Gwinnett County Medical Examiner's investigator Ted Bailey said a definitive cause of death could not be determined because McKinney's body was in the early stages of decomposition. Therefore, his death was unable to be classified as a homicide. Huh. Interesting. You know yeah, what else is the first time I've heard that? Yeah. You know what else is interesting is that there's a clear M.O. with this dude leaving the stove on and nobody's yeah. come up with a creative na- a name like the <laughs> the gas gagger or the oven killer, the oven killer or the Maytag murderer. Is Maytag make ovens or washing machines? I don't washing know which. Machines. OK, never mind. They might. They might also make ovens now, too. OK, yeah. The Maytag murderer. Uh so where are we? Uh, what I think is funny is that, you know, he, he's tried this like four times now and none of the houses have blown not, up. Not a one explosion. Not a one. What is he doing wrong? Maybe he'll get it right on the next one. I don't know. Uh, but he's he's determined, right? He's consistent, persistent. He's, he, he wants to get that done. He's persevering. Uh, he's going the distance. Uh and uh, we'll get to what happens in a second. But he just keeps you're right. He's very unsuccessful at this whole blowing up method that he's trying. Um, where you are think we? He'd try something different after a while. Am I right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so uh, after Art died, uh, a man called his aunt three times, claiming to be a friend named Keontae or Tiante. The man told her that Art would not be back because they were leaving the country together. And the calls came from Art's phone. Hmm. The aunt told police that she thought that one of his friends might be involved. So they found the friend at his place of employment. He told them that the last time he saw Art, Art had asked if he wanted to go out to a club downtown, but he couldn't go. The friend's fingerprints were taken and then he was ruled out because they did not match the fingerprints found in Art's home. So now we're going to get into the investigation and the arrest. Well, at least four agencies were working on the case. Atlanta Police, the Paulding County Sheriff's Department, the Duluth Police Department, and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation. Well, uh, shout out for not being messy hoes and working together. 
<laughs> Atlanta police working Mark Schaller's murder learned that Mark's BMW had been impounded on October 8th, taken from an apartment complex four miles away from Schaller's condo. The car was searched for evidence. Police found cigarette butts in the car, but Schaller didn't smoke. Mm. So these cigarette butts were sent to the lab for DNA testing. They were later matched to Belcher. Got him. DNA <laughs> every time. Every I time. Just am just I love DNA so much. You love you some DNA. I, I know. I it just I just love it. DNA. <laughs> Thank you for all you do. Uh, police began tracking Schaller's credit cards and discovered that they had been used several times between October 5th and the 10th. And even when detective detectives were at the crime scene investigating Mark's murder. Uh, wait a minute. His body's here, but he's making charges. How is this? This uh, well, ghost. His ghost. Is buying things. <laughs> oh, my God. Beth. <laughs> so, yes, his ghost was buying things. And then... Then uh, police found that one particular card was being used at specific times to fill up at different gas stations in Midtown. Mm. So detectives staked out the gas stations. The credit card company was to tell investigators immediately when the credit card had been used. Detectives described it like fishing, just waiting for a nibble. Mm. Police finally got a hit on a car that was filling up at one of the gas stations. So they did a felony stop on the car, which is being which was being driven by a black man with a passenger who was also black. So the two men were cuffed and searched. Inside the sock of the passenger, Willie Barnes, was Mark Schaller's credit card. When asked where he got it, he said he found it. Okay. It turns out that Willie Barnes was selling gasoline. He'd find someone who'd give him cash and then he would use the credit card to fill up their tank. Seems seems like a good uh, wow. scheme. Wow. Talk about a hustle. Okay. Yeah. This, scheme is, this scam is new to me. I've never heard <laughs> of anything like it before. Yeah. Well. Detectives thought Willie Barnes was a little rough around the edges, that he hadn't showered in weeks, and also that he didn't look like someone who could pull Mark Schaller. Hmm. Well, uh, okay. So the driver of the car, Derek Thompson, consented to a search of the car, but police found nothing. So he was released. Willie Barnes was further questions, but he wasn't talking. However, Willie had in his possession a business card from Marty Jones, the maintenance supervisor for the same apartment complex where Mark's BMW had been recovered. Hmm. Marty Jones was questioned. He told police that Willie Barnes did odd jobs for him around the apartment complex, and he thought Willie Barnes did not have a permanent residence. Police thought it was possible that Willie just found the credit card in Mark Schaller's car when it had been dumped. When Mark Schaller's cell phone records had come back, they revealed that the phone had been used on October 6th, 7th, and 8th to call a woman named Tanya Brown. When contacted, Tanya Brown and her boyfriend, Matthew Green, came in voluntarily to speak to the the police and they brought Mark Schaller's cell phone with them. Ooh. They told police that they'd bought it off the street for $10 from a black guy driving a blue BMW. And although Matthew Green was the one in possession of the cell phone, he had an alibi for the night of Schaller's murder. Police looked at the cell phone and spotted a call that had been made late on the night of October 5th. The call had been made to a man named Sam Preston, who was a barber. Preston was questioned. He related how he remembered the call because it came from a Florida area code, which was unusual. He said 
it came from a man that he knew named Howard, but he didn't know his last name. He did, however, know where Howard lived, so he gave detectives the address. Howard had called him the night of the 5th and then picked him up in a blue BMW with Florida tags. Mm. Sounds suspicious. Very suspicious. (laughs) (laughs) Preston noticed that there was a credit card in the cup holder with the name of Mark on it. This made him nervous, so he told Howard to take him home. Mm. Uh, Detectives went to the address that Preston gave him looking for Howard. At the home was a woman who told detectives that Howard was her son, but that he didn't live there. She told them that ever since he got on drugs, she doesn't allow him in the house. He had stolen from family in the past, and she gave detectives his full name. His name is Howard Milton Belcher. Um, that's which, the one. That's the <laughs> one. And, uh, you know, she, she said he was doing drugs and stuff, so probably doing some drugs. Ter- yeah, doing drugs. Some turmoil there. Uh, it's yeah. just, she. it sounds like she gave him up like that. Yeah. Get the hell out. Uh, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when people are doing drugs, it's not uncommon for them to steal from the family. Right. And it, it's yeah. not because they're evil people as far as my my perspective. It's it's the addiction that's causing them to do yeah, it. Yeah, right? they need money to, to feed the addiction. Right, right. Detectives went into Belcher's criminal record and saw that he had a long rap sheet, including being a suspect in a robbery slash kidnapping in which the victims were tied up with neckties. So Belcher went to the top wow. of the list of suspects. <laughs> uh so th- I, I must say, uh, and I don't say this often, good thing it's recorded, right? Um, this is, I feel like, good police work. This is, yeah. as far as finding clues and ruling out people, you know, not and just following the clues, right, not yeah. just picking a narrative and trying to uh, make, it them, fit. make it fit. Yeah. When it yeah. really doesn't. So uh, I think that this is commendable. Now on October 30th, 2002 police in college park stopped a gold 1994 Lexus that Belcher was driving. He told police that he borrowed it from his friend Achilles he had the audacity to tell the police to call his friend Achilles, who would back him up. By the way, his name was Artilles, not Achilles, dumbass. And they also <laughs> found Belcher in possession of Art's wallet. Okay, motherfucker, that is enough. Get in the car, sign away all your rights. You're going to jail. <laughs> On November 7th, the Atlanta detectives investigating Mark Schaller's murder put out an arrest warrant for Belcher, and they found him quite easily. He was in lockdown in Fulton County Jail for driving a stolen vehicle, Arts Lexus. They also learned that he was wanted for the murder of Matthew Abney in Paulden County. There was a clear pattern in all of the crime scenes. We talked about this. Evidence yeah. of robbery, the use of neckties to bind, and how the ovens had been left on with the burners burning. All <laughs> of the crime scenes mirrored each other. When Belcher was interviewed, he seemed eager to talk. He described himself to Atlanta police as a, quote, HIV positive prostitute, unquote. He admitted to having met and hooked up with Mark Schaller, but he then began weaving a fantastical story about how after he and Mark had sex, his friends CJ and Tianti just showed up. Oh, 
Oh, hi. Hi, CJ and Tianti. Uh, he <laughs> said, you know where I was? Wow. Well, this ought to be fun. He said they told him to open the oven door, turn on the gas and light the burners. Then he left in Mark's car. So he, so he knows nothing about what happened after that point. See, see what had happened was uh, <laughs> he didn't know what happened and he didn't know anything about Mark's murder. And then he said later that he saw CJ and Tiante driving Mark's BMW and they let him use it. Police confronted him about the fact that Belcher told them that he left in the BMW. He was like, yeah, but then we switched cars oh. and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Police could tell he was making shit up on the fly <laughs> and was having a hard time remembering his lies. Mm. He blamed Tiante for Art McKinney's murder. But at times he also called him Keante. So he, he just couldn't he couldn't get the name straight. Mm. He couldn't get the facts straight. Everything was stupid. So what you're telling me, Belcher, is this is all bullshit? Okay, gotcha. Yes. Uh, hands behind your back, please. Uh, so, according to Atlanta Police homicide detective Vincent Velasquez, quote, after he was arrested, the rash of killing stopped. End quote. Very interesting. Yeah, uh, funny so, how that happens. Isn't it, though? Uh, <laughs> so now we're going to get into the trial. What do you got, Beth? Howard Milton Belcher was formally charged in the case on November 9th, 2004. Unfortunately, he was never charged in Art McKinney's death because the medical examiner could not rule his death a homicide. Mm, that is really uh, interesting and kind of a shame because yeah. it looked like all the other ones. <laughs> Pretty much, uh, yeah, the, the whole situation uh, indicated homicide. Mm -hmm. Now, Fulton County prosecutors initially decided against seeking the death penalty against Belcher, but reversed course in 2005. At his Fulton Superior Court arraignment for the October 5th, 2002 murder of Mark Schaller, aggravated battery and auto theft in January 2005, Belcher thanked his attorneys and asked to die. Quote, I'd like to thank the court for giving me the death penalty, Belcher said. I'd like to thank the Fulton County District Attorney, Mr. Paul Howard, unquote. The judge interrupted Belcher, telling him he had yet to face trial. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> Slow down. <laughs> Quote, I want the death penalty, Belcher said. I don't have anything to talk about. I want the death penalty. I really don't want anyone to represent me, unquote. The judge refused his request. Wow. So Belcher was tried for the murder of Matthew Abney in Paulding County. A judge rebuffed a move to introduce evidence linking Belcher to the murders of Leroy Taylor Indicob and Artilles McKinney in Gwinnett, but allowed links to Mark Schaller's homicide in Atlanta. Tom Mellinson, an assistant district attorney in Paulding, said that strengthened his case. And in June 2009, Belcher received a sentence of life in prison plus 20 years for the October 10th, 2002 murder of Matthew Abney. Now, on May 8th, 2013, Belcher went to trial for Mark Schaller's murder. The case had been postponed for a time when Belcher refused to take his HIV meds and doctors said that they didn't think he would survive. But the trial went forward 
forward, he was found guilty and sentenced to life. You see what happens when you ask for what you want? Sometimes the universe doesn't (laughs) hear you. Now, because Belcher already had two life sentences, Clarkston prosecutors declined to prosecute in the murder of Leroy Taylor. So now we're going to get into where are they now? What do you got, Beth? Howard Milton Belcher is currently incarcerated at Phillips State Prison in Georgia. Apparently, he likes to draw because I found some of his artwork available for sale online. Oh, don't buy it. (laughs) Noted. (laughs) Don't do it, you guys. He also sent a letter to a YouTuber whose video will be in our show notes. But as of November 2020, COVID wasn't so bad in jail. He was in solitary confinement at the time and was asking for $800. Yeah, he also uh, told the YouTuber in the letter that um, one of the COs in the corrections officers in prison told him that there was this website called Murderpedia and that (laughs) all of the facts and stories about him out there were fake. Not true. Fake news, he said. Uh, However, he did say that he would like some help um, making a movie about him and he would like Tyler Perry to be involved. So, Tyler Perry, if you are listening, (laughs) uh, don't do it. Don't do it. Also, uh, in his letter, he he just kept asking for a lot of favors and a lot of things to help him personally, like right. money and, and buying his artwork and all kinds of bullshit. Um, but nothing about remorse for the victims or feeling sorry um, for the crimes that he committed or, you know, um, any, yeah, any of, any of, any of that. that stuff. Um, so now we're going to get into what we believe uh, made Belcher snap and our takeaways. Hit it, Beth. Well, since we don't know anything about his early life, we don't know what happened to him as a child. Um, but being gay, he may have been bullied or treated badly. That is certainly not out of the question. No, yeah. He did spend some time in prison, and who knows what happened to him there. Mm-hmm. His mom said that he was doing drugs. Doing, doing drugs! drugs. <laughs> so that was probably a factor, at least uh, a motive for robbery. Yeah. He later described himself to detectives as an HIV-positive prostitute. Those were his words. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like maybe he didn't think much of himself yeah, um, or maybe didn't have much hope for his future. Mm -hmm. And like he was begging for the death penalty and he stopped taking his HIV meds. So uh, sounds like he was really depressed and angry. Yeah. And uh, took it out on these men that he hooked up with. Yeah. And another thing I was going to uh, say was when he got out of prison and began his spree, he was in his mid 20s. Right. So not he wasn't fully cooked yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, we haven't had a killer like this in a while. Well, at least not being able to talk about it in our takeaways in this context. But it seemed to me like he was destroy- trying to destroy something that was within himself that he hated profoundly. And uh, something might have happened. I-, I wish we knew more about his childhood, but it could yeah. not have been easy growing up black and gay. Um, yeah. And being his true self, a black gay man, for whatever reason, just wasn't um, something he was able to do. Uh, and um, it fucked I think it fucked him up internally. Um, yeah. And I think hurt people hurt other people. And that's what he that's what he did. Um, yeah. And I also think maybe having HIV probably um, 
fucked him up too. Per- yeah, I mean, perhaps that might have made him feel hopeless. What's what's exactly. the point of even yeah. trying to be a good person? If right. I'm going I'm to just die. Gonna, I'm just going to kill these dudes. You, yeah. Yeah. But um, we know so much more about. I mean, even in 2002, HIV wasn't the life sentence that we thought it, it was yeah. in the 80s, right? Thanks, the Ronald Reagan. Yeah. yeah. But um, life with the disease has come a long way. Treatments for oh, it. Oh, yeah. Right? And yeah. So, I mean, you can you can live a full, happy life. Right. And, and, uh, being mm-hmm. HIV positive. Yeah. yeah. And so I just think... Um, it's an unfortunate case because there was I mean, he killed men in their prime too. like ooh, those yeah. those families that were left in that wake, the the grieving families and just the, the men's lives that were um, cut short because right. of this motherfuckers inability yeah. to cope. Yeah, he, he uh, was a, a monster. And uh, I don't know what else to say other than this was a bad individual. And yeah, very selfish. Very I much so. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I'm sorry, this isn't funny, but uh, he asked for the death penalty and they wouldn't give it to him. Which is just, <laughs> it's just... Uh, oh, you want that? Oh, oh I'm no, sorry. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I think uh, prisoners ask for the death penalty because they think that they won't get it. Um, but I don't think oh. that was the case with this guy. Yeah, I kind of think, uh, I, I feel like he meant it. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah. yeah, that's all we got. I never heard of this guy and I'm glad we covered it. Yeah. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do. So you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to The Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way. So now we're going to get into how not to get murdered. So if you love true crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. This segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. This is not meant to blame the victims. It's just learning from other people's experiences. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. Okay, so I found a company online on Instagram and it is a black owned self-defense device company. Oh, cool. Yeah, a lady black owned. And um, it's called uh, Beyond Defense. Uh, and they have neat products and share safety tips and videos. Oh, and, cool. Yeah, and their safety tips are from like a black woman perspective. So it's about physical safety, but also mental health. Um, nice. You know, like take self-care. Um, right. And uh, I just thought it was remarkable. So we'll put links in our show notes so you can um, check out their social media pages. And also, um, 
boy, there's been some hot, hot discussions on our Facebook group. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the one of the latest ones uh, was about kidnapping. Uh, I think there was a story posted about uh, cheese. There was and I don't think it was a real story, but it was really interesting. There was a piece of cheese post put on somebody's car and and maybe the um, kidnappers did that on purpose to distract the woman. Anyway, uh, this is a tip about kidnapping from Sophie H that arose in our Facebook discussion group. And Sophie says, if you're worried about dangers around your car, you aren't likely to need to worry about cheese on it. Noted. (laughs) But you should do things like walk all the way around the car and check the back seats before getting in, right? Doesn't everybody do that? Like real quick? Yeah. Uh, Inside your car, keep a seatbelt cutter and car window cutter and hammer tool in your glove box in case of a carjacking or car accident. Also keep a first aid kit in your car in an accessible location, all which are great tips. Great tips, and yeah. thank you, Sophie H. Yeah. Um, Beth, do you have anything to add? Nope. Okay. Well, now we're going to move on to the shout out portion of our show where we shout out any true crime goodies or any content by or about any marginalized, othered or underrepresented folks. Uh, And I just wanted to shout out the fact that Pose season three is back. It is the final season on FX and Hulu. Um, Older episodes are available on Netflix, but Pose is the story of Cutie Puck, queer and trans POCs, people of color, or BIPOC people in New York in the 80s. That's and so cute. Cutie Pucks. <laughs> yeah, Cutie Pucks. Um, and it is just um, the drama, the reads, the the fashion, the slang, all of it, the beautiful, the beautiful people um, of what's his name? Billy Porter is in it. Um, we all know Billy Porter, right? Am I right? The fabulous, the fabulous man who has worn capes and adorned himself in gold um yeah award shows so anyway it's just it's just more of that it's wonderful so cool what do you got uh well i wanted to give a shout out to beyond the rainbow podcast hmm. it's uh true crimes of the lgbtq community oh hell yeah the tagline is it's not a crime to be gay unless you're a murderer hello <laughs> hello okay <laughs> it's hosted by cj who says that if she has to label her orientation she identifies as a lesbian and it's a really good podcast so check it out i'm loving it thanks beth (laughs) you're welcome (laughs) well that's it for today uh but where can the people find us our website is fruitloopspod.com our facebook page is fruit loops pod and our discussion group is fruit loops pod discussion on facebook we are also on twitter and instagram at fruit loops pod and links to our sources will be in our footnotes if you want to support the show you can send us a donation on the cash app just google fruit loops pod cash app or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page this will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting there's no minimum and no commitment even a dollar would help and as always we have merch for sale on our website that's right now this is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every thursday so until next time look alive y'all it's crazy out there
am the comedy horror podcast that holds weekly gatherings around the campfire. Let me tell you what you're going to get. You're going to hear stories about demonic possessions, prison stabbings, skinwalkers, glitches in the matrix, cult leaders, missing 411, night marchers, Operation Paperclip, Mesopotamian devil worship, and so many monsters it'll give Kanye West a runaway for his money. Pop and meme culture also aren't off topic. A camp where laughs and scares are constantly competing for first place. We're just a group of friends trying to bust each other's balls, find the best stories, and expand the circle in the process. 3AM, the comedy horror podcast, not for the faint or fragile of heart. Let's go. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mahalovic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an Evergreen Podcasts, Killer Podcasts, and Slow Burn Media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows.